I served in Vietnam. I served in Iraq. No matter where you served or when, VA has benefits for veterans of every generation. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, visit www.va.gov. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of This Week at VA, the official podcast for the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Timothy Lawson. This is episode 49, and we have a very cool episode this week as I sit down with three wonderful individuals that contributed to the success of the Harry W. Colmery Veterans Educational Assistance Act 6 of 2017. You're wondering, what in the heck is that? Well, we affectionately call that the Forever GI Bill. You've probably seen a number of your favorite VSOs and veterans uh, using that hashtag on social media over the past uh, nine months-ish, a year probably, of uh, as they tried to get this uh, off the ground and passed. It is signed into law, and uh, I have three people that were part of the coalition that conceptualized and executed the whole process. Before we get to that, I want to tell you about three social media events that took place earlier this week. This past week was National Suicide Prevention Week, and we took part in events on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. First, on Twitter, on Monday evening, I believe, we had a Suicide Prevention Month chat. Uh, you can check out the hashtag, Be There for Veterans. It's Be There, the number four, Veterans. Uh and you'll see a conversation between us and a number of veteran service organizations uh, about ways that you can support veterans and their families uh, through times of need and to play an active role in suicide prevention. Then on Wednesday, there was a Facebook Live event with AMVETS that was hosted on their page. So you can go to AMVETS national Facebook page to watch that video there. Uh, a similar conversation of how you can be there for veterans. Lastly, on Thursday, we let Make the Connection do a takeover of our Instagram. Uh, so you can check out what they posted there at our account, DEPT Vet Affairs on Instagram to get more information uh, on what they do and in, in the campaign that they put out during Suicide Prevention Month. So this week's episode is special because instead of interviewing one veteran, I spoke with three people. This was the first time I've ever recorded a multi-person interview in person. I, uh, I did those virtually in the past when I had multiple guests, uh, and I think it turned out great. On the panel, we have Ashlyn Haycock from TAPS, Lauren Augustine from Got Your Six, and Will Hubbard from SVA. I'll let, we'll get into their uh, titles and descriptions uh, in the interview, uh, but we get into the conceptualization, the execution, the behind the scenes, look at what it take what it took to get the forever GI Bill done and passed. It's something that all three of them are very proud of. If you're a veteran that's using the GI Bill or will soon use your GI Bill, this is a very important I think it's a very important conversation to hear. It's a really cool inside look on how policy, especially in the veteran space, uh, you know, is dealt with here in Washington, DC. So some cool insight for some different interests. Enjoy. Timothy Lawson, host of This Week at VA here with you. I am joined uh, by Will Hubbard. Of course, now that we start, I forget your official title over at SVA. I asked you five minutes ago. And I, hold on. Uh, assistant Director, assist, Vice President of Government Affairs? Bingo. You got got it. it. Will, thank you for joining us. 
It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, Across from me, Lauren Augustine, Director of Government Relations here at Got Your Six, where we are currently located. Welcome. Yes, welcome to our, our home here. Thanks for having us. It's always nice to, to visit Got Your Six. This is my third or fourth time here. It's a short little walk for me. It's always nice to get out of the office and uh, visit you wonderful people here over uh, at Got Your Six. And to my left, my first time meeting Ashlyn uh, Haycock, Manager Education Support Services at Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors. We can go with TAPS for the rest for of the TAPS, day. For TAPS, yes. But I wanted, um, I wanted to spell it out because honestly, when I first hear TAPS, I immediately think Transition Assistance Program. And when Mark first per, per, uh, told me, I was like, TAPS, really? <laughs> Uh, someone from TAPS, and then I was like, oh, that, that TAPS. Um, this happens way too often, Yeah, actually. so that's why I'm spelling it out, so we were all on the same page. Um, thank you all for, for joining. This is the first time that uh, we've... Will already looks bored. Uh, this is how this thing is going to go. Time. Yeah. Um, let's start. Uh, give, me a, uh, give me a tweet size description of what exactly it is that you do at your organization. We'll start with Will. Sure. Uh, I execute the policy on behalf of 1.1 million student veterans in higher education. That was a humble brag right there with that, uh, that metric. Lauren? Oh, I will uh, see you and raise you that I am Will's counterpart for Got Your Six, but I represent the Veteran Empowerment Coalition of 3 million veterans and their families. Mic drop. Oof, look at that. Now I have to beat that. Yeah, Ashlyn, can you can you stand them up? No. Mm. Uh, I support 70,000 surviving families in their attempts to go back to college and pursue their degrees. You could go to the billion dollars you got in the Forever GI Bill. I did get a billion dollars in the Forever GI Bill for surviving families. Okay, well there there's that will helping you out with the with the humble brag. Um, now let's go back around the other way. Uh, so Asher, we'll start with you, um, and you can do maybe a Facebook post-sized uh, description on where what your involvement was, where what you were doing in the development and execution of this of the Forever GI Bill. So TAPS had several key components we were focused on from day one. The biggest one being yellow ribbon for Fry Scholarship recipients. It's an issue we've been pushing for many many years and uh, has been proposed every year legislatively since 2011. So that was our big push, was, and that was one of the five priorities. But also increasing Chapter 35, as well as some changes to transferability, and of course, removing the eliminating date for surviving spouses. So that was our key role, was focusing on those issues, because in the past, every time they have made changes to the GI Bill, they forget the words, and survivors, and so we are excluded from those changes. So to make sure that not only are we supporting veterans, but we're supporting the survivors too. The VA motto says, the widow and orphan outside. So let's make sure that we include them in these changes. Yeah, absolutely. Lauren, where were you and Got Your Six in this whole pro uh, process? Yeah, sure. So Got Your Six, as a leader of a veteran empowerment coalition, is always looking to support and build on empowering policies. And there's really nothing more empowering, empowering than education. We've seen that through both SVA studies, through the, the greatest generation and what they were able to do with higher education. Uh, and so Will and team at SVA proposed this and we were on board from day one and really helped from a tactical side to make sure that we could do our best to help them see success on it. Well, one thing actually that Lauren also I'd like to touch on later is um, the critical element of strategy that they brought to the table. So we'll definitely try and touch on that. Um, but uh, as far as how the process worked, what happened was last year, I was actually deployed, still in the Marine Corps Reserves, and Derek Fraunenbarger, my uh, director of policy at the time, who's now with the American Legion, 
he approached me and said, hey, uh, I'd like to talk to you about GI Bill 3.0. Naturally, I was pretty intrigued. And we got to talking about the idea of making the GI Bill permanent. We'd seen that over time, individuals were so focused on defending the GI Bill or stopping these cuts, uh, it was really a losing battle. So we de uh, determined that we wanted to go on the offense and figure out what could be done to solve this problem once and for all. And that's where Forever GI Bill came from. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, it, 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 and correct me if I'm wrong, this whole, the past 18 months has been a blur in my life, but it, it seemed like just before the Forever GI Bill came into play, we were talking about ways to downsize it, right? There was talks about how can we cut from the GI Bill. Um, you guys probably know better, know better than I do on who can speak on each one of these questions the most, so I'll, I'll leave that up to you. But um, how did how did the Forever GI Bill overcome the initial talks of let's cut from the GI Bill to let's expand it? To start off, we had initially realized that we were looking at things like one-off bills like the, the STEM bill, which would extend the GI Bill a year for those going for a STEM degree, since they often take five years versus four. So what we realized is that was a good that was a good first step uh, in terms of offense to, to bring the conversation towards the the line of discussion that we're talking about expanding the GI Bill, not necessarily cutting it. Anytime discussions are all about cutting it, that, then best case scenario you end up at zero and you're still losing. And so that was the initial thinking with the the STEM legislation, which we uh, supported and proposed three years ago. Uh, that conversation continued and was really built out in what became ultimately the final package of Forever GI Bill with uh, nearly 30 excellent provisions, each one of which could have been written by a student veteran themselves and all, all of which were in fact brought to us by them. So on your question of why we've seen those cuts, it's because that's where the money is in the VA. It's a very generous benefit and it's a good benefit, but it, it is a large chunk of money that the VA gets every year. And so when Congress is tasked with having to pay for everything that they're passing, it's very easy to go to the GI Bill to say, okay, let's, where can we find um, you know, things that are redundant? Where can we find ways that we can save money? So what the Forever GI Bill did was really say, this is a priority. We package things together to make it palatable, to get it through Congress. And we said, no, enough with the cuts. We're going to make it lasting. We're going to make it sustainable. And I think sustainable is the key word there. Um, and, and that's really the, the genius behind what Forever GI Bill was able to accomplish. Any additional thoughts, Ashley? I don't have any on that. OK, great. Uh, let's talk about the branding of Forever GI Bill. and. Uh, you know, there's, uh, there was mixed feelings about it go, uh, going into it, but it caught on. Um, I think that it definitely helped people understand what the biggest impact was supposed to be, that it was a more uh, sustainable benefit for, for veterans long term. And I think that it, I think it helped veterans even, even if this didn't work out, I think it made veterans understand what their current situation was because some of the, I think I saw some veterans with, with sort of the wait, it's not already that? Like, you know, it's not already forever? And so I think um, it sort of woke some veterans up on what, how their benefits uh, are, you know, could expire or run out or whatever it may be, or where, where can it be extended, who can it be passed on to? So at the very least, I think it helped veterans understand their current benefits. Um, Will, we'll start with you, cause, uh, since you had an, uh, an opinion about this, but uh, the Forever GI Bill, how do you, why, why was that the branding and why do you think it took a while for it to catch on? Well, we first started off calling it the, uh, the Lifetime GI Bill because ultimately we wanted people to realize that these benefits could be used over a lifetime, that you weren't limited to a 15-year mark. 
uh, we, we went back and forth with trying to figure out what the best hashtag or, or social media branding on that would be to really convey a very complex but uh, complex message, but a simple idea that veterans could have their GI Bill forever. And ultimately, we just kept saying, well, we want them to have it forever. And eventually, we just decided, well, forever GI Bill it is. And uh, initially, it was slow to catch on, I think, but once people started recognizing it and using it, uh, it, it immediately picked up. And you can look at any of the branding nowadays. Everybody calls it the Forever GI Bill, mm-hmm. uh, which is nowhere in the, the language. But I'd also point you to the fact that the post 9-11 GI Bill, that's nowhere in the initial language either. It's actually the post 9-11 Veterans Educational Assistance Act. So colloquially, that was referred to as the post 9-11 GI Bill, just for simplicity's sake. Rolls off the tongue a little better. It, it, it's a little easier to say. And yeah. I think uh, the same thing is true of Forever GI Bill, it's difficult to say such a long uh, title of a, a piece of legislation, but it needs to be something that people can identify with, understand, and quickly quickly grasp. Yeah, uh, Ashlyn, while you're doing your work over there, did were your uh, were TAPS constituents and customers and followers did they catch on to it, or did it take oh, a while? Yes, at TAPS, the, we put out the social media hashtag frequently, and it was something that our families were tweeting and putting out because they knew how much it meant to them. You know. The, the simple branding of this is what it is, it's a GI Bill that is forever, made sense to them and it was important to them to see these benefits. On the survivor side, we looked at, you know, with making it forever is you've got surviving spouses who had uh, toddlers when their spouses died. They couldn't drop everything and go back to school in that 15 year window. So having the ability to then say, okay, when my kids are out and our benefits decrease because I no longer receive the additional benefits for having children, I can go back to school and start my career at 40. And so now we're giving them these options. And so that made sense to them yeah. that it's forever for them. It's not, I have to try and force myself to go to school to use my benefits yeah. while I'm still raising children. As someone who was familiar with my benefits, uh, my education benefits anyways, as soon as I saw the hashtag, I knew what it meant. Um, and I think that I think that's one way that it caught on quickly was veterans that were aware of the current situation immediately got where the value was going to lie in this. Uh, Lauren, uh, thinking about branding and future legislation that that education benefits might see, will calling this one the Forever GI Bill hinder further development because this one seems uh, sort of a end all be all. If there needs to be further. Uh, um, legislation or some developments, do you think that those will struggle uh, because we sort of feel like this was supposed to fix it all? I don't think so. I think everyone who works in policy recognizes that things can always be improved. And what this really did is almost protect the GI Bill more than it hinders it because we've seen these generational or conflict-specific GI Bills that really open the, open themselves up to being cut or to being on the chopping block as things get tight on the purse strings. And so what this does is it cements this as a benefit of service not tied to a specific conflict with the knowledge that there's room for improvement. I, I certainly don't think that it means that we're all done working on the GI Bill. There was a big meeting just this week to see how we can continue to improve it and build upon the success of the coalition that, that we built here. Wait, uh, is there, and I don't know, you know, you can uh, defer this question if you'd like, but is, is there anything that didn't make it into this that you think is an imminent uh, development in the future? Absolutely, and I will defer to Will because he is now leading a new coalition to address some of the issues, but there are many other educational protections that uh, we need to improve upon, and there's lots of room for that improvement, so I'll let Will expand on that. Yeah, thanks, Lauren. So as we developed this process over the last really six to eight months, 
we came together with what we called the Tiger Team. Uh, it's a, a business term typically used in consulting, but it actually has its roots in espionage um, that a, uh, with the military, which we felt was very, actually very appropriate. Uh, a Tiger Team is a group of individuals or specialists in various fields that are coming together to achieve a, a particular mission. And in this case, that's ex exactly what we did. We brought together Got Your Six, TAPS, VFW, American Legion, uh, Vietnam Veterans of America, and Military Order of the Purple Heart. And that tiger team, that coalition, that mini nucleus of a coalition is really what made this happen. Through the course of those discussions and negotiations, particularly towards the end, we recognize that there's actually a lot of uh, things that we could be doing, not just for student veterans, but actually all students and all non-traditional students. And so that's, uh, that's really the next focus is the Better Education Initiative, uh, which will be focused, as Lauren pointed out, student protections, transparency, data collection, um, accreditation, just really a whole host of uh, post-secondary issues. Um, Ashwin, we heard from you where, you're, uh, where your audience definitely feels the benefits on survivors uh, being able to use their, their benefits, uh, you know, more long-term. Uh, Lauren, we'll go to you next on where, like, what's one of the benefits that you see in this that you, that you personally think is truly valuable? Well, in addition to it being forever, I think the number of inequities that were not intentional that it solves. So the Purple Heart recipients who might not have universally received the full GI Bill, the reservist problems that we saw, being able to fix some of those secondary and tertiary problems that came from the original post-911 GI Bill that, again, weren't intentional, but they were certainly negatively impacting people's lives. Being able to wrap all those up and fix it is just impressive to see the thousands of people it, it could impact, and really that's empowering and that's something that Got Your Six is very proud of to, to stood behind. Will, any, any uh, on top of uh, survivors benefiting, what Lauren mentioned, is there any, uh, what benefit stands out to you? I think for us, one of the major issues is the fact that it uh, addresses school closure issues. Every other student up until the Forever GI Bill found some type of restitution, whether through borrowed defense, um, or, or other various opportunities to have their, their student loans forgiven if their school closed. Unfortunately, student veterans were literally the only students who found no support. And that was something that we took very seriously as we saw both the Corinthian system collapse as well as ITT Tech more, more recently. And actually, there's been uh, nearly a thousand schools at various campuses over the past couple of years that have closed. Uh, many are not as noteworthy as the big two that I just mentioned, but uh, it's actually not an uncommon issue. And so understanding that these closure issues were affecting literally hundreds of thousands of students was important to us to, to find a way to address that and making sure that student veterans, just by the nature of using VA benefits, that they weren't left out uh, and of the opportunity to go to school. So we were able to uh, actually cover that and we were very excited to see that happen. Yeah, I th that's, you know, I think something that people who haven't uh, haven't used their education benefits or haven't gone to college, whatever it be, don't realize that you know a university is a collection of schools. And so while that university may be fine, a specific school may not thrive and decide to close their programs. And you know, for someone who wants a very specific degree, uh, it's not as easy as just going pursuing another program at, at university. Sometimes it requires right. going to a different university and uh, and. Without assistance, that can be very, um, right. yeah. Um, let's give some people some behind the scenes look. Um, uh, Ashton, we'll start with you. Um, just with 
do you have a story? Do you have, uh, can you recall on a moment in this development that something that was uh, very DC, maybe very, uh, very government that, uh, that you were involved in that you, that you thought maybe was a turning point uh, on the Forever GI Bill or where you realized that, okay, this is going to work out? Oh gosh, the coalition has become such a, the entire Tiger team, we've all become very close through this process. And so just, you know, the fact that I was not bothered by Will's 10 p.m. emails because I just thought that was normal. And now my life is very quiet all of a sudden. I think it's now that it's over, it's like we, we accomplish this and it's great. And I can build on that from a very DC perspective. I've been working in veteran advocacy for about four years now and I've worked on several campaigns that have had successes and been very exciting. Um, but for me, this one, I, I sort of took my breath away when we realized we had the support of um, both Chairman Rowe, Ranking Member Walls, Leader Pelosi, and Leader McCarthy. So we had really the four corners that we needed on the House side. And that really, like, as, soon as, as soon as we heard about all four of those coming in and we had their support, it was really a mic drop moment. We're gonna do this. I can't believe we're gonna do this. All of our strategic plans behind the scenes, all the pieces came together. And it was really just a, a breathtaking moment as a, as a veteran advocate. It was in that same moment too, Lauren, that we, when we found out that Leader McCarthy was putting out uh, in the AP, that he was committed to getting a vote on this as soon as possible. I think for me, that was when I realized this is really gonna push forward. Uh, the committee was on board and really had been very supportive actually for, for a majority of the effort um, and championing it. But when we heard that the House Majority Leader said, this is a priority, uh, put it in print, put it in press, the, the same day that the bill dropped, for me, that was, that's when it got real. Yes, yeah, so in traditional DC fashion, we had meetings all day on the Hill and decided to pop into the, the Whip's office and just say, hey, we want to vote, We're, what's it going to take? And his office was stunned that we, had, that, that we weren't already getting one. And so Chris from VVA pushed his case in a way that I have not seen in DC before. But the next day, there was a vote. You referring to obviously uh, to Chris Goldsmith, um, who I think the veteran space uh, is knows him for being willing to stick his neck out there uh, for whatever cause that he may be behind. So he was our go-to bad cop for the Tiger team. <laughs> <laughs> that that's the best way to describe it. Chris Goldsmith, bad cop. Uh, who who then was good cop? I was typically good cop. I played or Derek yeah. from the American Derek, Legion. Derek and I were really focused on making sure that people felt heard. That was actually very important to us throughout the entire process to build this coalition by consensus. And so when individuals had some serious concerns or they wanted to see some additions or perhaps tweak some language, uh, both Derek and I made a real, real concerted focus to, to hear that uh, and really take it seriously so that everybody knew that whatever product we came up with at the end, everybody could stand behind. Yeah, that's that's good because you know, oftentimes in this, you can, you know, you're willing to put in your support, and then it's, sometimes it seems like that's all people were looking for was your stamp of that you're, you know, willing to quote unquote support it, and then don't actually hear you in the process. And now here's your here's your name associated with something, you're supporting it, but your you and your audience's voice isn't really represented in that. So I'm glad to hear that that was a a key focus. What was the time roughly from the conception or the first like hey we should move forward with this to uh getting that getting that first vote it started off really in uh late october back in um 2016 
That's when Derek and I began initially discussing this concept. It didn't really pick up until maybe February. Uh, I'd been back at that point. Derek and I continued those discussions and started to hash out what this would really look like. We were actually prepping up for a late April hearing uh, with the, the pay for on the table and uh, which unfortunately got marked as a tax on troops, I think somewhat unfairly, but uh, the, the hearing got canceled. It was, it was a setback. We really had to sit down and, and take stock and understand what had happened that led to that point because up until then, it wasn't even really a public effort. We had discussed the policies with, with staff members, with advocates, but it wasn't out in the, out in the open. And that, the plan was to launch it really at that hearing. Uh, unfortunately, t in today's day, if you don't have any kind of pay for, you're not likely to get a hearing because people aren't gonna take it seriously. And that was kind of our way to make that happen, to get that discussion going. I think for that reason, it was actually highly successful because we got the discussion going. There was probably actually more attention paid to it uh, based on the opposition. And so they sort of did our work for us, which was actually fairly helpful. We were able to capitalize on that and then move forward into large community GI Bill roundtable. From that point, things just took off. So that was uh, October. When did you guys? Get, when was the first vote? The first vote was in August. Uh, okay. Uh, July. Late, late July. July. Yeah, okay. it was in late July that we had it in the House, and then early August in the Senate. Okay. What was? Uh, you know, everybody is. You would like to think that um, there's always people that are willing to play devil's advocate in any. Uh, in any scenario, uh, which I think is healthy for any idea, um, either uh, maybe some uh, you can either talk, touch on people inside the coalition or people in the House or the Senate. Who what were some of the devil advocates saying about uh, what were their questions on on this bill? It's very rare in this community that all of the VSOs come together, and that was a big concern for a lot of staffers. Is that there was not any opposition in the the community, and so to see all of us come together really did alleviate a lot of that concern from the hillside. That's a great point. Um, let's go to Cong let's go to the House, Congress. Um, where, what were some of the questions there? Yeah, so going back to what we were talking about earlier, where there's a lot of room for addressing some problems with student protections and school closures, um, there was definitely a want from the Hill to see a lot more of those protections included, which is something that many of the people on the coalition also wanted. Um, but we sort of worked out with them that we're all committed to working on that moving forward, even if it couldn't be a part of this package. I would say that's probably the only big the big thing that we really had to negotiate, and I don't know if you want to speak to that more well. Yeah, that, that's 100% true. I mean, there was there was concern, and when I say concern, it, it wasn't over what was in the bill, it was what was not in the bill. People wanted to really use this as an opportunity, a vehicle, if you will, to have everything get, get taken care of. It. We recognized that really wasn't a possibility because if we added too much into it, it would become too politically risky and have a, a chance, it wouldn't have a chance. And so we, negotiated the opportunity, let's get this done. Let's take that success, that political capital that demonstrates we can make this happen and then move on to the next thing, thereby hopefully getting both things done versus neither. Well, we're, so, uh, I mean, touch on that a little bit on controlling what gets in there. Um, you know, what was that process like hearing the ideas, like let's get this in there and trying to lend towards making sure that everybody was heard and contributed, but also controlling uh, what you just described. It was a constant back and forth between the Hill, between advocacy organizations, even between offices, even between staffing offices. 
uh, a constant just discussion really uh, happening on a daily basis. I mean, there were no number of times that I could even keep track of where we were always kind of doing rumor control, like, hey, we just heard this happen, or someone's got a hold on the bill, or you know, this person's going to try and kill this provision. I mean, so it was a, really a matter of us being in constant communication, which sometimes was uh, a little bit of a headache, but ultimately I think very important for us to make sure that we were all in lockstep in the same position and that the Hill saw a unified front from the advocacy organizations so it, it, it really gave us a strong position to negotiate from. I think from that point, it was just a matter of understanding what the priorities were and making sure that people knew that when we promised them that there were certain things we would work on next, that they understand we were good for our word. Yeah. Let's, um, let's finally talk about the execution of this bill. Um, it just signed into law four weeks ago, mm -hmm. it's about five right. weeks ago, something like that. Um, so veterans are probably wondering, does this happen now? Like, are my benefits uh, impacted now? Uh, what's the timeline on this stuff? Um, and, you know, what if veterans have questions, if veterans are looking for information, you know, where do they get that? That's an excellent question. So many of the provisions have a staggered uh, start date. And that was mainly a budgeting issue. Which is common for all legislation. That's yeah. not 100%. unique. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. As um, well as giving VA time to implement the changes right. in the system. Yeah, yes. I, I would say as a broad rule of thumb, um, about a year or so is when we can see many of the, the big ones going to effect. But the VA needs some time to work out with their systems, what that looks like in a lot of cases. There were a few items that go right into effect, for example, uh, requiring some reports um, specifically through GAO. Uh, that that's going to immediately take effect. They're going to start working on those reports and, and have been. So there, there's a few things like that. Uh, additionally, for example, the work study provision, which extended work study for, for student veterans, that goes right into effect. And that was actually really critical because it was about to end. In fact, there was like a small period of time where it, where it lapsed over the summer, but with the, the law being passed, it immediately took care of that. And we continue to hear from our chapters how important that, that specific provision is. Well, and I'll add, the VA just set up a hotline for yep. student veterans to call in to ask specific questions about which provisions in the bill are being implemented now or when will they impact certain veterans. So I would encourage anyone who has questions to call that helpline because it was set up for that very purpose. Absolutely. Yep. And of course, the... SVA has a great resource on their website that breaks down every provision and when it goes into effect. Yeah, and that hotline I'll list uh, after the uh, after the segment here. I love that in this whole conversation, you guys have just been alley ooping each other and giving each other props. This is I can see how this bill got passed right here We've in been this conversation. For a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> we spent a fair amount of time together in the last six months. Yeah, let me tell you, uh, if Will sends me a 10 p.m. email, he's not getting a response till 9 a.m. <laughs> the next day. Uh, same thing with the phone. Well, I might answer the phone. Um, all right, saved rounds. Any, anything we haven't touched on regarding this, whether it comes to the development, the execution, the, its impact, anything that you think we haven't touched on? Lauren, we'll start with you. Sure, I'll add one quick thing. Um, we've all been very uh, grateful for the um, congratulations and, and the, the, all these opportunities to talk about our work, but a group of people who really just did phenomenal hard work to get this done are the congressional staff members on both the House and the Senate side. They, they were willing to compromise. They were willing to answer 10 p.m. emails. They would pick up the phone without hesitation um, and would just, just did groundbreaking work to get this done. And it was encouraging to see something that was bipartisan and that was 
that was truly a compromise, and I don't think that they've been giving their due credit outside of our small circle of, of advocates for what they did here. I have to also share, you know, I was talking to Senator Tester just the other day, and I was like, hey, listen, we really appreciate your support on the Forever GI Bill. We're so excited to get that done. He's like, hell yeah, man, that thing's awesome. You know, I mean, there's a lot of energy within the members, I think, as well, um, which is largely a result, as Lauren pointed out, from the hard work of their staff. When the staff do their work, they get it done, the members care, uh, and they really want to see good things happen. And this was just uh, an example of a lot of common sense solutions that nobody had been really able to wrangle up until this point. So having come together as a team, we were able to get this done, and frankly, it's going to support millions of veterans and their families for, for years to come. Ashton, final thoughts? I have to reiterate what Lauren says. The staffers were huge in this. To They they took our middle-of-the-night phone calls and emails as we thought of things and were, went so far above and beyond that you don't see this type of bipartisanship in D.C. often. And there have been several articles highlighting the VA committees doing that. And I have to say that I have been beyond impressed with the bipartisan support I've seen come out of those committees the last six months. And to see... You know, from my very first meeting on this with uh, the House Veterans Affairs Committee where they came in and made the mistake of asking me what I wanted in this bill, and I gave them a whole laundry list. And to come out of it and have gotten three of our four asks when it's all said and done is huge. And so to have had such strong support on the Hill yeah. from them makes a huge, huge difference in getting this done. Absolutely. Well. From what I hear from VBA, uh, they're excited to be able to execute this on, on behalf of veterans and uh, to make things like survivors and uh, when schools are closing and, and other such to, to, to be easy on veterans. Uh, Will, Lauren, Ashlyn, thank you so much for, uh, for doing this. Uh, hopefully, uh, people glean some information from this and uh, hopefully you guys do something monumental again uh, in the future. We can do this uh, again. This was just a start. First of many bills to come out of this coalition. Absolutely. Yes. 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 There are nearly two million women veterans who served and deserve the best care anywhere. VA is dedicated to meeting the unique needs of all women veterans. VA offers comprehensive primary care and women's health specialty care. Women veterans who are interested in receiving care at VA should call the Women Veterans Call Center at 855-VA-WOMEN or contact the nearest VA Medical Center and ask for the Women Veterans Program Manager. Visit www.va.gov slash womenvet. As we mentioned, there is a phone number you can call if you have any questions about the Forever GI Bill, especially it's imp how it'll be implemented. Uh, you can call the Education Call Center at 1-888-442-4551. Uh, 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. Central, Monday through Friday, for any questions regarding your GI Bill benefits. Today's Veteran of the Day is Air Force Veteran Beck H.G. Beck served from 1942 to 1946 as a photographer. A major project that Beck completed was creating 9,000 fake passports for 3,000 Air Force paratroopers who would be flying into enemy territory. Wow. Uh, we thank Beck for his service. To read Beck's full write-up and to nominate your own Veteran of the Day, visit blogs.va.gov. 
Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. It means a lot to me and my guests that you take the time out of your busy schedule to hear what they have to say. Be sure to subscribe and leave a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. We are in iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, among others. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at DEPT Vet Affairs for more stories from our community. I am Timothy Lawson, signing off. Thank you.